0: Hey guys, it's Anya, and this episode will be about body image, and I will personally share some of my experiences with body image. So, body image, of course, as you know, is how we perceive ourselves and you know just the stigma, the physical stigmas and the mental stigmas that come along, you know, with our body image. And I personally found it very hard on myself growing up. But before I get into me personally, I want to talk about the general population. So now we are entering this little so-called era in which more bodies are being represented on social media, in the facet industry, and it's great. But we still have to combat the fact that social media we are almost seeing of a reverse of that. Sometimes you have to follow specific accounts to see a body that looks like yours. Other times it's really just a thick search of trying to find that one Instagram user that represents you completely. And there are a lot of fashion bloggers out there. But I feel if more women were empowered to, you know feel comfortable in their body and go out and become an own fashion sensation. You know, that could really inspire a lot of other people, and you know, a lot more people than they think. And, you know, I really find it sad that we still have issues with clothing sizes, especially. You know, there are a lot of brands that are becoming more inclusive, you know, making sure that their plus-size clothings Items are on the shelves in their stores rather than just, oh, you can only purchase it online, which is great. But then it's all about the positioning of where you advertise these things for and when you do it and how you do it. Like, for example, I went into a store. I'm not going to say the store name, but, you know, I walked in and all you saw was, you know, just regular, regular, quote unquote, woman-sized clothing. And it wasn't until you got to the very back of the store that you saw all these plus-size pants, shirts, jeans, jackets. And, you know, I'm sitting there wondering. And it was a woman's section, too, but you had the woman's section all the way in the front of the store, you know, like sizes 0 to through 10 or 12. And then you have children's stuff, mine's stuff, and then all the way near the back where you can't plainly see – is a plus-size section. You know, I even saw a customer literally having to ask an employee where the plus-size section was, and she almost got lost on the way there. And, you know, if it's woman's stuff, then it's woman's stuff. You don't have to separate it, especially with that huge of a gap, just because, you know, women are plus-size. And a lot of people do say things about plus-size women, like, oh, it's unhealthy, oh, you're promoting obesity, oh, you're going to get sick if you don't lose weight. And, you know, I do understand that, especially as a future medical professional, I do understand the fact that, oh, being overweight or being a certain way can cause excess complications. But then there are some circumstances in which some women can't control their weight. Whether it's a thyroid issue or just a genetic problem, they can't control their weight. And since they can't control their weight, it's better for them mentally and physically to just love the body that they're in instead of trying to change it. Especially knowing that they probably can't really change it because of their own personal issues. Now, for those of you that don't like to see plus size women, you think it's gross, you think it's nasty, just fuck off. Because it's their life, while you intruding with their life, they're trying to live the best life that they possibly can. And then here you are shitting on their parade for what? You know, if they want to wear cute or really close, then let them wear it. You know, and it's not even just that. It's just the mental stigma that comes with it. You know, especially when it comes to skinny women. uh, For some reason, we fantasize eating disorders on a whole nother level, and it still happens today. You know, we think, that being skinny and sick is cute when in reality it's deadly and dangerous. And there's a lot of instances where today we compliment other people for their weight loss or some type of, you know, just losing a bigger part of themselves physically on their body and we compliment them, we congratulate them when in reality it can be something horrible and terribly bad and all you're doing is promoting the illness, promoting whatever negative thing is going on with them. I remember I was on Instagram the other day, and this girl posted a picture of her. She was very thin, very frail. Uh, Her collarbones really popped out and stuck out in the photo. And behind it was a story saying the day I posted that picture, she posted that picture, sorry. She almost died. You know, people were complimenting her, saying, Oh, you look so good, you look so nice, especially guys they were coming up to her and just complimenting how much weight she lost. When in reality, that same way she took that photo, she ended up in the hospital for um heart palpitations. Like she literally almost died. And yes, it was a case of anorexia, but what we don't realize is that extreme weight loss, rate loss in general. You never know what you're promoting. Like, yes, you can just say simple things like, oh, you look nice. Oh, that outfit looks great on you. But when you start going into somebody's weight, into how their body physically looks, then that you are either triggering a problem or you are enhancing the problem. You no, know, for the people who are complimenting that girl saying she looked great with the amount of weight that she lost. They were really promoting her eating disorder to go further, to get into it, for her to dig herself into a deeper hole. And by that time, she almost died. That's not only the time when she realized she had an issue, but that's also the time when people realized that her weight loss was the cornerstone of a much bigger mental health issue. So now for me personally, growing up, I did have, you know, issues with my body. I felt that I was fat or that I was overweight. And it wasn't until around middle school where I really got into really wanting to lose weight, really trying to come up with a diet or exercise regimen that I could follow in order for me to lose weight. Um, I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa about a year ago in 2018 2017 around that time and you know the diagnosis I got it but it was really about two years after my whole problem started and for one I really didn't think I didn't think I had a problem because I thought it had to conform to a stereotype. You had to look a certain way. He had to behave a certain way for it to be a problem. And yes, I had some of the symptoms, but, you know, I felt... It was almost like an on-and-off situation where I would try and diet for long amounts of time. And then it will be just like, oh, I quit. But then those thoughts will come back nagging at me. And then I will start up again, you know, not eating, trying to exercise as much as possible. Um, there are some days where I would walk to school. Now, for some of you guys, it might not sound that bad, or you'd walk to school. It's exactly, like, what, 3.4 miles from my house to my school. So, yes, I would literally walk almost an hour from my house to school. I would get up early. I would make up the excuse that, oh, I have something to do at school at this time or whatever, and I would leave my house at 6.55, Walk to school as the sun was just coming up and then get to school around 7.55, 8 o'clock. All of that, while not having eaten anything, maybe just have eaten like um, a, you know, a, I don't even know, like a slice of an apple or something. But I really didn't even eat anything. and I walked almost six miles a day back and forth to and from school all because of the sake that I was trying to lose weight. Um, I can also remember, you know, starting off was kind of hard. I would just eat all this junk and all this crap. You know, I would be constantly eating through the day, and that's where I felt like, oh, maybe if I just stop this, and I'll stretch myself, then I could just lose all this weight. So what what I had started to do was I had started around... 500 calories, but then I felt like it wasn't enough, so I went to 600 calories, then 1,000 calories, and then when I hit 1,000, I'm just like, I'm eating too much, so eventually it went down to 300 calories, that was my lowest caloric intake, you know, I tried to do 70 calories a day, but obviously that didn't work, so I just kept it at 300, and you know, I was excited, when I started losing weight, I just constantly kept looking at the scale. I went from about 160 to like 129 in three months. And I remember my English teacher specifically, my son's an eighth grade English teacher. She would always comment, you look like you're losing a lot of weight, are you eating? I'll be like, yes. And you know, her asking me if I lost weight and I me saying yes, that really somehow empowered me they keep going, and you know, in the day and age of internet, there's of course you know like pro sites, uh, pro ana Instagram pages. If you don't know what it is, pro ana is a pro anorexia diet. It basically gives you tips and tricks on you know what to do, what not to do. And you know, I followed those strictly. I wrote it down in you know, little notebooks. I looked at it constantly. I took Tips from it. I remember one tip: a saying to write the weight that you currently at on your right hand and the weight that you want to be on your left hand. And now, when it rubbed off, I would constantly like write it over. Like, oh, I'm at 142 now. My goal is be 119. And then there was this point where I did reach 129, and that's when I stopped. When I got to 129, I think, I don't know, it's just like I stopped not eating. I didn't really have a specific reason why, I just stopped eating. I stopped not eating, sorry. And, you know, when I looked back a few weeks later and saw that, that I did that, that I was literally 10 pounds away from my goal, it really just, you know, it pissed me off and, I gave myself excuses to eat. Like, oh, you're playing sports now. You obviously need food so you don't pass out. But, you know, I can also recount, like, the summers I had with, like, my eating disorder. All the summers where, you know, I'd just not eat. Like, I'd go to barbecues and sit there hungry as hell sitting down because I started running around with, like, my cousins or whatever. I'd probably pass out. And, you know, I just try to convince myself, oh, it's like a nice day, let me just enjoy myself and get back on my regimen later. But at the same time, I felt regret. Like whenever I ate when I wasn't supposed to, I felt so bad, I'd like harm myself as punishment. And, you know, it just really got me to a bad place. (sighs) It wasn't until around November, around a year and a half ago, that my anorexia nervosa turned into anorexia with bulimic tendencies. So, if you don't know what that is, bulimia is basically when you eat a whole bunch of food, you binge, and then you purge. So... I had gone to Cracker Barrel in November. I was in Florida for a funeral. And I remember just sitting there. I had gotten a chicken fried steak with, no, sorry. I got a burger with macaroni and cheese and some broccoli on the side with a cup of lemonade. I remember just eating all of it, eating as much as I could. And then I went to the bathroom and I purged. Um, Yes, there was blood in in my vomit because I had done it so many times before that now the acid coming up from my stomach was stripping my esophagus. But I didn't care. I kept doing it. I did it at Cracker Barrel. Um, During that same little trip that I had taken, I went to this barbecue place I got some ribs, and I purged that too. And, you know, My throat was really sore. And I went to my great-grandmother's house. It was her husband that had died. <sighs> she gave me some food, some curry goat with rice and peas. I ate that, but I couldn't purge because I was at her house. The wall's really thin. You know, it's not like I just could have turned on the shower and been like, hey, I'm taking a shower. It was a quick visit, so I had to keep that in and purge whatever I could when I got back to the hotel room. And, you know, it was just this cycle of not eating, eating 300 calories or less And then also trying to purge whatever I ate, you know, as soon as I possibly could. And there were some nights, you know, I would just, there was this one time we went to a steakhouse here in New York. I got ribs, ribs are my favorite food, by the way. And, you know... I didn't really eat a lot. I brought it home, and then at 3 a.m. in the morning, I got up, warmed up the food. I ate all my ribs. I ate all the fries. I had a bowl of cereal, some toast, some waffles. And then it was, like, a whole rack of baby back ribs plus some fries. So it was a lot of food to start with, and I added on everything else. And then I purged. Everything just came up so easily, so I kept doing it and doing it. I got to a point where I learned to throw up quietly, so that made it a lot easier for me. But yeah, it was just me finding the chance to eat, savor the flavors, savor how it made me feel in any type of good way that was still left, and then I would throw up. So it wasn't until January of last year that I actually started getting treatment for it. I went to New York Presbyterian Hospital. And, you know, that was another one of my lowest points. My ribs were sticking out. I didn't even have to, you know, suck in my stomach or anything. I just had to lift off my shirt and there on my ribs. Uh, my scapula, my shoulder, my clavicle, my um collarbone bone, everything was just, you know, out and exposed. And You know, this shows a side of the healthcare system to the point where, you know, it's another fight with insurance companies. It took around three hours for my mom's insurance, because I am under her insurance, a company to approve that I was able to go upstate, not really upstate, but out of the city to New York Presbyterian's little eating disorder fertility. And then, you know, the usual stay at that place would be like six to eight weeks. But because of my insurance, they kicked me out after one week. And I was not ready at all to leave. I was still struggling to like eat my meals to, you know, just just, just, to just eat. I was struggling with that. And, you know, the doctor said, we want to keep your insurance. You know, they're not complying with us. So after a week, I had to leave. And then it was just me and my mom. We were both on our own trying to figure this out. I went to two other places. I tried to go to two other places. There were, like, these research opportunities where you get paid to be a part of a research study for eating disorders. And... Both research opportunities rejected me because of the fact that I wasn't sick enough. Now, I know you might think that's the stupidest excuse to reject someone, but it's true. Um, In between, you know, a certain point, around six months, I had gained back around 20 pounds or so. And... You know, I went there, I told them my history, I told them everything I had been doing. And when it got to what my weight was currently and what it was before, my lowest weight, that was the point where they said, we cannot help you because we only accept patients within a certain weight range. Now, I understand that it is a research you know, opportunity. The hospital itself was doing research. It was Columbia University Hospital. But at the same time, your research isn't research unless it includes all of the necessary variables. And a variable included with that was a girl who had an eating disorder. But she had just gained a little bit of weight in between trying to find treatment. You know, my eating disorder, it was still there. But it's almost as if they were looking for my weight as proof. You know, the doctors, they were telling me, oh, usually someone with an eating disorder, anorexia specifically, loses 50 pounds for it to be a reasonable diagnosis. And I'm just sitting here like, it doesn't matter how much weight I've lost. I can't eat without wanting to harm myself. I can't eat or look at food or smell food without wanting to cry or run away. I have an issue, and you're rejecting me all because I lost 30 pounds instead of 50. It was It's the most ridiculous thing. And then I went to this place in Philadelphia called Renfrew. Um, I didn't really have a good experience there. It wasn't necessarily because the doctors said anything. They were welcoming. They were willing to take me. It was just, you know, my anxiety. And, you know, I felt like I didn't belong there, which is why after eight days I left. I felt like I didn't belong because even though my diagnosis was anorexia, I felt like I wasn't sick enough to be there. And the prior visits for, for other places like that research at Columbia made it, That feeling even worse. Like, oh, I'm not sick enough to be here. Oh, I'm not sick enough to have a problem. And, you know, seeing the girls there with real severe anorexia and really made me think, what the hell am I doing here? I don't need to be here. I don't belong here. I'm fine. And so after eight days, I left. Um... So right now, I still kind of, you know, struggle with my looks. It took me a while, actually a few weeks ago. It was really when I discovered that most of my body is muscle. So like a person my age would normally have like 20 to 25% body fat. I have around 16% body fat which means if you try to squeeze my thigh, you'll get some fat and skin, and then the rest you won't be able to grab because it's just pure muscle attached to my bones. And that's all I was really losing when I stopped eating was my muscle. And it really affected my heart because, you know, your heart is a muscle. And for me not eating, that was really when You know, my health took a toll. Remember, I had I was doing like a water fast. My plan was for three days. After thirty six hours, I had heart palpitations, and you know, I it scared the shit out of me. You know, I was like, "Oh, they're not that bad," but then I really felt like my heart was about to either beat out of my chest or stop. So then, that's when I actually ate something and broke my. 36-hour fast, which was supposed to be 72 hours, but I couldn't make it that long. And I was really disappointed, but at the same time, I didn't want to die. And you know, this healthcare system really needs to change. It doesn't matter if you lost 50 pounds or you only lost 10. And eating disorder is an eating disorder. And You know, we shouldn't have to wait until it's the final straw for us to get help, all because people reject us because they think or we might feel because of them that we're not sick enough. You know, an illness is an illness. And even today, when I look back at it, I think that couldn't have been real. I feel like that was all a dream, like none of it happened. But then I have notebooks from the time I was in like hospitals and stuff. And I read all of that. And I was like, that was me. I wrote that. These are all my feelings, my emotions. I remember this happening. And then it just makes me think Am I really sick? And if I am, where does it go from here? Because obviously now I'm doing much better. I gained back a lot of muscle. I'm playing on two sports teams right now. And, you know, I'm eating. But if I relapse, how long will it take before I actually go and get help? Or how long is it going to take before I'm actually accepted to receive help? You know, I shouldn't have to scramble around all five boroughs in New York City or go out, out of state to Pennsylvania just to get help. You know, I shouldn't have to wait until I'm in a hospital attached to an NG tube because I'm drastically underweight and I don't want to feed myself. I shouldn't have to get to that point to get help. I should be able to. You know, admit, be strong enough to admit that I have a problem, which I have, and then have people, doctors and psychiatrists around me to support me and help me get over it. You know, it takes an average of about six years for a person with an eating disorder to recover. That's just a minimum. Sometimes it's much longer than that, especially if you relapse and the severity of the relapse. If we count from the time that started my eating disorder, I'd say I'm in year five right now. But if I'm talking from the point where my diagnosis actually happened, I'd say I'm in year two. So, you know, it really just depends on my effort of myself and the effort of those around me. So in terms of me right now in recovering, I'd say I'm doing a pretty good job. Like I said, I'm on two sports teams. Right now I'm playing softball. It's amazing. I'm pitching this year, so that's really exciting. And um, it's just about accepting myself and, you know, accepting the fact that if I'm hungry, I'm hungry, so I eat. And I just try to stay positive as much as I can. I do occasionally go down the street and see a girl that's skinnier than me. And I start feeling some type of way because she's skinnier than me. But then I remember that, you know, she might not be able to do the things I can. You know, I'm one of the top athletes, you know, just in my school in general, and to give that up would I mean giving a possible scholarship to college. So that would really suck. And, you know, I'm just trying to find ways to embrace my body, whether it's just, you know, standing in the mirror and saying a whole bunch of nice things or going out and buying clothes that really accentuate certain parts of my body and just... You know, knowing how to feel good about my body. And, you know, I also want to help to promote it for others. You know, I hope this podcast really touched, you know, some part of your soul or your heart or whatever. Or that, you know, it's helpful for somebody else. <laughs> To hear that someone else is struggling and it's not just you. Because most people struggle with anything. And especially this struggle has been going on for generations. But what I can tell you is, you know... If you feel like there's something wrong... Don't just feel like you have to downplay it or dramatize it. All because you feel like people don't believe you. You know... For me, it wasn't until I literally had to be hospitalized until people actually started listening to me. So just, you know, keep doing you. You know, love yourself, love your body. Even if you have to take a shopping vacation once in a while, like I do, just go and try on flattering outfits, bikinis, and just have a little mini photo shoot in the changing room, then do it. Because at the end of the day, it's your body and it's your mental health that you know ends up taking the cake, that ends up being a priority in your life. And once you take care of yourself properly, you will not regret it. You will feel amazing. You'll feel empowered. And, you know, just be an activist for your own body. Whether it's making sure you get the right treatment or... You know, making sure that people recognize that this is the only version of you and they need to accept it, go ahead and do it. So that is it for this episode, guys. If you would like to send me a voice message, whether it's you just voicing your opinion or giving me a random comment, you can download the Anchor mobile app. That is A-N-C-H-O-R mobile app. It's available for iPhone and Android. And send me a voice message on my page. You know, I will include your voice message into my next episode. You can hear me live answering your questions. And I hope to see you on my next episode. Bye.